Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and even strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts will feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on TAP, we have Raiders of the Lost Ark, starring Harrison Ford, Karen Allen, Paul Freeman, John Rhys-Davies, directed by Steven Spielberg. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. Today we're opening up film three in this cask of the Summer Tentpole Hall of Fame. And this is going to be a pretty unique cask, and we're going to have four entries in this one. And we have a very special entry today because for the first time ever, we actually have a guest, and we're calling him the guest distiller for this episode. Uh, this is Mark. Hi, uh, I'm Mark Benick. Uh, I guess uh, armchair critic of films, not uh, practicing with a license like you guys, but uh, I'm very excited to be here. Excellent. We're, we're happy to have you here. And Mark's given some good feedback, and we thought it'd just be something that we could roll out and mm-hmm. sort of play around with this a little bit and add another voice on occasion here. And so, Mark, to you, starting it off. Excellent. And with that, I'm going to start pouring <laughs> as you continue the, the introduction here, Jesse. Yeah, perfect. Today we're having the, a good... Oldie but goodie, the Basil Haydens. We, we love this one. And, you know, we have a little bit of viewer feedback we want to get to this week. We've had, you know, some pretty interesting response to our nightcap question from last week, which was, what is your favorite movie vehicle? And Six Feet of Dynamite actually went with a choice that I think you mentioned briefly, Matt, which was uh, Eleanor from Gone in 60 Seconds. Yeah, yeah. That's a badass car, right? Mm-hmm. And we've had two other responses, one from Brett, who chose the 1970 Dodge Charger from the first Fast and the Furious film. Oh, that was actually, I think, Vin Diesel's ride in that one that mm-hmm. he crashed at the end of the movie. Yeah. And then uh, and then Nathan, you mentioned this one as well, uh, the 68 Mustang, uh, Fastback Mustang from Bullet. Yeah. Which, you know, hard to argue with any of those. Those are some pretty iconic cars. Great I, I know, car, terrible movie. I think, you know, every, yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, every, everyone went with, you know, choices like, pre-existing cars in their own model john wick the charger and i went with one that was a bit modified and you know no one really had any response for like something like otherworldly like uh delorean <laughs> time machine or, or uh, millennium falcon or something like that but i thought the interesting interesting entry point on that was when you mentioned just vehicle i mean we said vehicle and i just went car mm-hmm. but if we're opening up for spaceships then slave one the millennium falcon we can go on and on and on with the different sort of just vehicles, and that might be something to play with in the future. Excellent. Yeah. Mark, yes. do you have a favorite car from a movie? Well, honestly, I would have picked the DB5, the, okay. the, the Aston Martin, you know, classic James Bond. Um, it's so iconic, that, that that look of it and, you know, what it does. It, it, it defines Bond just as much as the theme songs or any of his other trademarks. It's the one my father always talked about growing up. Oh, awesome. You know, that's so it's just printed on my brain excellent well to uh, awesome rides and our first guest is Siller let's raise him up boys here we go all right cheers Basil Hayden Mm -hmm. touchdown Jesus excellent yeah all right, yeah, that's so, smooth. I know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, a smooth ride. And I think we had that on the very first episode. So, you know, how fitting it's. So. Well, it's my personal mm-hmm. favorite. We know that, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And yeah, we're, we're the 23 episodes in on, on this episode here, which is, you know, hard to believe. And, you know, thank you to all the fans. Thank you, and fans like Mark who are spreading the word, helping us gain awareness. Uh, we want to thank you for that. You know, we kind of teased this out. Gosh, it might have been episode 15-ish about some swag that we have done while it's it's completed. Mm-hmm. And we've got some swag stuff coming people's ways. So if you respond to us and we respond back, look for a follow-up. And we'll get some stuff sent out to you this way. Uh, Brandon Marshall, if you're out there, 
You're first on my list, baby. It's coming your way. I'm going to have to get your address. Hit me up, man. Excellent. We'll get it going. Excellent. So uh, now that now that we have this guest here, one of the jobs of the guest is to bring forth the questions to the episode. So uh, we have our flight question now. Mark, why don't you hit us with that? So it was inspired by the Jaws episode, I guess. You know, what are your top three favorite John Williams scores for films? Okay. Do you want to go first? Oh, so I'll go first. Yeah. yeah. So, so for me, a lot of it has to do with the feeling I got in the movie when I heard this sure. music for the first time. No and, and number three for me is Jaws. I mean, I, I think I told you this in a text, Matt, that I, we had just come back from a trip to Baja in an RV with my mom, playing in the water, <laughs> playing with like dead sharks we found on the beach when the fishermen would leave them there. And we got back to California where I grew up, went and saw that movie. Mm-hmm. So glad we went after the ship. I never would have gotten the water. That was so scary. And those two notes, you know, it was creepy. It's a very, very simple theme for the shark. It's that da da, and you. It's it's so synonymous with the characters. Anything else in that film? Yeah. You mean to go to? Yeah, you got. So I'm going to go back to a western. Actually, okay. I'm going to go with the Cowboys. Oh, John Wayne. John Wayne's uh, latter John Wayne. John Williams had a lot of involvement in that film with the music and what's interesting about that film is there's a brief break in the middle that's a chance for people to go to the bathroom or get popcorn or do whatever it might be and that entire three minutes is scored just by him there's a synonymous sound that comes with kind of westerns it's tinny it's a little pedal steel but not with john williams Mm -hmm. it's strings and orchestrated brilliantly and if you remove that from the movie, mm-hmm. I think you'd have just a really nice fundamental piece of music yeah. that would work <clears throat> in any setting. But for me, I hear that movie. And again, like Mark said, I have an affinity for that movie. I really do enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's the Cowboys for me. Excellent. I think I've seen that movie one time before. And I think I was pretty perplexed by, you know, seeing John Williams name in this film. This is him very pre-Spielberg and Lucas. I think it's one of four times that he worked with the director, Mark Rydell. Okay. Uh, which be hard pressed to even name two of other Mark Rydell films. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. Excellent, yeah. excellent. I, I just, name one now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got one. Yeah. Excellent. So number three for myself, um, I'm gonna, my wife's going to be like super proud of me, but I'm actually going with Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's oh. Stone. <laughs> and uh, only because, you know, Harry Potter, much like another entry on my list, comes from a pre-established property, and I think there's certain expectations of what that needs to sound like to evoke a certain satisfaction for the fans of the book and the people watching the film. Some of the themes that he created in that first film actually carried on through the entire series. And when you hear them, it's synonymous with that character in those films. So that's actually, and I think they're unique too. Some of the other ones are are unique, but uh, this one is as well. Good take. Yeah. That, that was my number two. Okay, perfect. Uh, to be honest, Harry Potter. I mean, the feeling that you get. I mean, it just it just speaks mystery, occult. Mm-hmm. You know. The whole wizarding world mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I mean you said everything about it the, mm-hmm. the one other thing I would add is it's such a cool tune I, I was taking some jazz guitar lessons a few years back okay. and, and so my teacher and I kind of broke it down and went through the music and the notes and mm-hmm. everything like that it was really cool great great tune I think my kids would be proud that I mentioned it excellent <laughs> excellent and he actually did the, the the first three in the series and then He's probably like, I can't come up with any more themes for this wizard film. Like, I got to move on to something else. That's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. So uh, wizard it out. <laughs> all wizard it out, yeah. Two for me Yep, is Yoda's theme from The Empire Strikes Back. Okay. You have to have a theme that goes with one of the most iconic characters in film ever. Mm-hmm. That is 
synonymous with that little green guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so are you picking just Yoda's theme or all of Empire? No, I'm picking just Yoda's theme. Okay. Okay, because maybe you're teasing out what might be coming next okay. for my first entry. Okay. But it's just Yoda's theme in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what else can you say? That sure. music comes on and you know exactly who it goes to. This is like a perfect rotating cyclical segue because my number two is actually Empire Strikes Back, the entirety. If I had to pick any from the Star Wars canon, I think it was this one. You're bringing back the established themes of you know the main Star Wars title crawl, but introducing themes like Yoda's theme, Han and Leia's theme, and also the Imperial March, uh, Vader's theme. Just in a nutshell, there's a lot of great you know thematic musical elements at play in that entire film. And it's my personal favorite Star Wars film, and it's my personal favorite of all the Star Wars scores. Oh, without a question. Mm -hmm. I echo that sentiment. So, (laughs) we didn't talk before this, right? Yeah. But my number one was going to be from episode four, the opening theme. Okay. And it's just the, the, I'll never forget, waiting in line, I think it Mm -hmm. was, what was it, 77? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so maybe I was 12. Standing in line at the theater, and then you go into this movie, and, you know, the credits are coming out and this, you know, the music starts and the spaceship goes over. Mm-hmm. And it was the most incredible thing I've ever experienced. You're and almost bombarded by that opening Star Wars shooting out at you with the music and the title card. Well, it's, even just the title, A New Hope, mm-hmm. that alludes to something we've gone over before, like the prequel element. You know how I feel about prequels, mm-hmm. but A New Hope, what was the old hope? Yeah. Yeah. And why are we having to resurrect it? I'm instantly interested. Yeah. And then the, the, the title crawl as it spans into the vast depths of space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did make my top three, but yeah. only because there was 50,000 other choices. <laughs> yeah, I think for any Star Wars film, I think that opening bit is actually one of the things I look forward to with each entry. Just, Absolutely. Just seeing what they're going to say up there. And Can you think of another film that's like that? That has such like a... Vis- well, just that, that initial boom. No. Not off the top of my head. head. Yeah, <laughs> no. Not off the top. Yeah, it's, it's truly eviscerating the way it, it hits you like a punch in the face i do think if someone else tried to take that same idea and roll a credit scrawl or a title card scrawl through the opening credits it would feel just like theft yeah. wouldn't it the only one i can think of that does it kind of similarly in its own right is actually the rocky films with the rocky scrolling across with bump 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 but it's not as intense as star wars agreed yeah all right matt number one number one for me is also from the empire strikes back and yeah. you just mentioned it mm-hmm. It's the Imperial March. Darth Vader, for me, is one of the more imposing figures in my life that I was ever introduced to on film. A lot like Mark, seeing that at the age of five. That big guy scared the shit out of me. Mm -hmm. And if he can look at you and choke you out like this, and his introductory music, which doesn't show up until Empire, but like the music that they scored in Empire to him, Mm -hmm. and the... It's almost the pomp and the regalness of that. Mm-hmm. You recognize you are in the presence of power and greatness. And for me, that music always made it seem like the rebels never had a chance. Mm-hmm. And if it hadn't been for some stupid teddy bears, <laughs> they might not have had a chance, Jesse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I think Vader's portrayal in Empire is... hating going on here. Oh, come on, yeah. man. Yeah. 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 Vader's portrayal in Empire, I think, is very underrated. His presence kind of he's the one striking back like he represents the entire empire but through his revelation and his scheming and is that time you got to actually see like the burnt half of like the back of his head is yeah. how it's being sucked on you're like what happened to that guy mm-hmm. 
you know, a story better left untold, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> to that, yeah. To, to, to the, the imagination. Left, right? yeah. Untold, yep. <laughs> Poor Anakin. Excellent. So my number one, uh, John Williams score. I've mentioned it on podcasts prior. I think it's it should be talked about with the Star Warses and the Indiana Jones. It's, it's Superman the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, for... You know, maybe a little bit. That kind of kind of hits you a little bit too, like like Star Wars. Like you get that those the blue flying letters, like Christopher Reeves and Superman the movie, and so that's pretty good. And again, uh, talking to the Harry Potter, you know, Superman had to have a theme that you could buy into and be like, yeah, the character would have a theme like that. If they botched that theme, I don't know if you buy into the rest of that movie. I think when looking at musical scores, I think they play a very important role. I think they set the tone of the film, whether you're watching something scary or something adventurous, a call to action of sorts. This film we're going to talk about today definitely has that. Another example I would give you is the original Halloween. That film starts out with the... the It sets the absolute tone for what you're about to watch for the next 90 minutes. So Scored by your favorite guy. Mr. Carpenter. That's right. Maybe we'll do a top three thing of him one of these days so do you guys happen to know like who, who's more prolific or as prolific or close to as prolific as, as john williams i can't I mean, no that's like not danny even elfman but that'd be like the one yeah. i would the one i would equate today with you know kind of being the modern day john williams would be hans zimmer yeah for his work on the nolan batman's parts of the caribbean gladiator inception and he's he's has his own themes in his own right but man pound Star Wars, Close Encounters, E.T., Raiders, Jaws, Jurassic, Jurassic Park, Park. Yeah, Superman. Forget, yeah, 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 yeah. You know what's funny about that, though, is you mentioned Danny Elfman. Mm-hmm. So the Oingo Boingo frontman now, I don't want to say reduced, but mm-hmm. sort of uh, parlaying that into a career in film. Yeah, Johnny Marr from The Smiths mm-hmm. has a pretty decent career scoring films as well. And I find that to be truly remarkable because who would have ever thought of The Smiths yeah. guitarist as the soundtrack guy mm-hmm. for he's got a good 10 movies under his belt mm-hmm. i only know that because yeah. i live with someone who's a huge smiths fan yeah but i think that as far as how many and truthfully john williams is still going mm-hmm. you i think his first film was in the late 50s mm-hmm. he's crazy yeah. Yeah. he goes back didn't say like 40 over 40 entries just with spielberg alone i think he's and he's like 88 i think he's already my goodness i think the first thing they had to do was get him to score episode nine just because I don't know what if what if he passes before. Well, he's already slated to do Indiana Jones five. Oh, we're gonna his page is already set up to do like we're gonna we're gonna talk oh, about twenty twenty or something like that. We're right? gonna talk yeah. about Indiana no, Jones five, and uh, well, that, I think that's that's interesting. Yeah. Well, excellent. Those are some. I think those are some very fascinating in, in, entries. We're gonna talk a little bit more about John Williams and what he brings to this film. But are you guys ready? You got your bullwhips. You have your fedoras? Got them. All right. <laughs> Locked and loaded. Excellent. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. Cheers, gentlemen. Let's jump right in and let's get to our breakdown slash review of Raiders of the Lost Ark. of the lost dark starts out with the paramount logo which goes into a nice slow dissolve into a mountain a trope that's gonna follow through with the rest of this series and bastardize in the fourth film but let me let my opinions go by the wayside for a minute but let's stay in the good with one today okay yeah let's yeah we'll, we'll talk about it in a little bit but 
this is a really great opening scene. And a couple of weeks ago, we're talking about Jaws. We also discussed great opening scenes. You know, here right off the bat, we're getting a great characterization of a hero. And it's all kind of done from behind, in shadow, in darkness, mm-hmm. until we just see close-ups of the hand, his gun, the whip. As he takes the whips the gun out of this guy's hand that's about to shoot him in the back. And then we get that great reveal from out of the shadows of Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. Let's talk a little bit about the casting of this. Uh, just to begin with, Harrison Ford was very reluctant reluctant to take take on this role because he didn't want to become the Robert De Niro to uh, Spielberg and George Lucas because they had already had American Graffiti, Star Wars, Empire. He'd already done three films with him. It was this close. It was this close to having a very different Indiana Jones, but Tom Selleck had this part, like... Signed, sealed, delivered. On lockdown, And yeah. then at the 11th hour, CBS pulled him in, and he had some contracts to fulfill for a t- television show called Magnum P.I. Can you imagine losing Indiana Jones for Magnum P.I.? Yeah. I mean, that show had a decent run, seven or well, eight It was a years. great show. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> the legacy of that stacked up to Indiana Jones, it was, it was this close. And on the DVD, uh, you can actually see the screen test with him and Karen Allen in the jacket and in the thing. And it's just a very different version of the character can i see a question about that both sure. you guys mm-hmm. thinking about tom Selleck, mm-hmm. and i know not to pigeonhole him as magnum pi sure. oh i do well, <laughs> I'm not YouTube, but, but, so step away from that for a minute and see if you can answer this question without already having that preconceived notion mm-hmm. is the mustache and the dark hair too cop-like to play professor of archaeology because to me i think he's got the gravitas and the the cojones to pull it off yeah but he's just so copy to me. What do you think? I mean, good. I, I spent a lot of time in Chicago these days uh, with my employer, mm-hmm. and um, that's what cops look like. Cops yeah. and firemen all have they look like Tom Selleck, yeah. with mustaches and dark hair. Yeah, I think it's an interesting, you know, visual element. And I think had he been cast in it and had that, I, we would probably be calling it this the best on film mustache of all time. I mean, it would be another... It was impressive. <laughs> it, yeah, it would be another identifiable trait to the Indiana Jones character. Yeah. Yeah, so... Oh, what could have been? You know, Tim Matheson, yeah. uh, Peter Coyote, yeah. uh, we're all kind of in the, in the running. They were but the, I can't imagine anybody else. It's like, hard. For me, it's... It's hard, so, to, it's hard to visualize it. And so in comes in Harrison Ford, and I think he just embodies this character so well. So when we talked last week about uh, Ghostbusters, you know, we talked about, you know, the script format. So here in this film right now, we're in the middle of the opening scene, establishing the character in a world that we're going to be familiar with him. Archaeology, whatever the plural <laughs> term for that is, we're seeing it on full display here. Lawrence Gasson does a really good job of what we talked about last week with Ghostbusters, and that's taking the opening scene in the film and making sure that the viewer recognizes who the protagonist is and what environment or playing field they exist in. And this does it in spades. Mm -hmm. I don't want to take too much away from it, but we're getting there anyway. Yes. We go into what is arguably the best opening in film, action sequence-wise. Yes. Crazy good. Mm -hmm. Crazy good. Mm -hmm. So that first, I think it's about eight and a half minutes, Mm -hmm. from the skulls. And by the way, this is the the first appearance of... um, (laughs) uh, Alfred Molina. Alfred Molina's first appearance in film in this movie, too. Really? Doc Ock fame and Mm -hmm. um, Rita fame. And yeah, it goes on to some other kind of big stories. I want to tell just a little production anecdote with him real quick is when they did the tarantula bit and like they're all turned around and they're all over him. 
So they did it with Senor. a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they did it There's with two, and he's got a bag full of them. Yeah. They did it with a bunch of males, and they were kind of just kind of flopping around, not really doing much. And then they they threw a female on there, and they all started moving around. And much to the fright of Alfred Molina, I, they couldn't pay me enough to do a scene like that. I was oh just going to ask God. you, could you have done that oh, scene? No like, I don't know if I could. <laughs> I got a certain bit of arachnophobia already, so yeah, that one that one kind of gives me the willies. But we're getting you know kind of these tropes of adventure seeking that we're going to carry out the rest of the film we get yeah stay out of the light and a booby trap and the the floor the the chasm that we have to go across and the darts yeah all these different kind of in place traps this first opening to me hits on one of the five for me essential pieces that makes this movie what it is okay and that's unique environment chasm creates an environment that was not overplayed or even really explored at all in film at that point and we get it, and it's based on culture. And I think that's really cool because a lot like when we talked about The Conjuring and all of the items in the room that offer potential stories, this leads to how many other potential stories just based on culture that we're unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. As a kid, I'm like, what, 10-ish? Mm-hmm. I could, where is this? And is that how people live? And what kind of poison did they put on those darts? They booby trapped those things back then. Yeah. And how did that, that stuff in between the stones have the ability to know what weight was? And like, no, it just was such a fantastic world that we got exposed to. And again, for all the things this movie is, I'm not going to be shy tonight about giving a heap of praise on Kasdan for an amazing script. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about that real quick yeah. about your first time seeing the film, the both of you. Go ahead, Mark. Go ahead. Mark. Uh, well, I mean, it was it was like a, like a lot of the films we've already talked about. It was game changing, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know that opening scene, and all of a sudden you're 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 in this jungle, and then you have got that action sequence, and that big ball rolling mm-hmm. down. After we were um, uh, we were in in Europe a few years ago with the kids, and we took a Unimog tour of these these wine. They call them wine mountains, mm-hmm. but the, the vineyards in the white Burgundy region of, of Germany. Yeah. And we came down this one sort of like dirt road that had these high walls on it. And I said, kids, look back. And it felt like we were in Indiana Jones, you know, where <laughs> that ball's going to be chasing us. That's I mean, cool. I mean, that was just so uh, a visceral, you mm-hmm. know, and, and the music too. We didn't even talk about the score yet, but yeah. that, that was, it was too obvious to make it a top pick, right? Yeah. yeah. But it's a great score too. Yeah. That just kind of sets the tone for the, for the movie. Most definitely. Yeah. What about you? Uh, was it summer camp at the YMCA? Okay. It was a really good week at the YMCA that week. It was the water park and Indiana Jones on the same Friday afternoons. That was a really good day. It sounds me. like a good Friday. <laughs> it was a really good <laughs> a huge day. day. Yeah. <laughs> so we did uh, Wet and Wild and we hit Indiana Jones. And uh, I remember we had to take a permission form home and get it signed because of the end sequence. And they were a little worried that some of the younger viewers might be a bit afraid mm. of the way the uh, Ark of the Covenant sort of exacts its revenge sure. upon really? the unwitting yeah. inhabitants. Yeah. Um, enthralled what is she gonna say Mm -hmm. that boulder yeah crazy huh (laughs) yeah his hat the fedora as he goes back to get it before yeah yeah i mean it was just it's perfect excellent perfect the the bullwhip we haven't Mm -hmm. i mean you've touched on it but what other movies have bullwhips i mean i know they show up occasionally yeah like where that's like a key part of the movie unless they're taming lions in the greatest uh show on earth which i want no part of that film but uh (laughs) how about you yeah yeah it's so you both are spoiled and you got to see the movie in its glory and its heyday 
you know, since I'm a, such a child of the you 90s. You call him as old? Is that what I heard? No, maybe, I don't know, maybe. No. no, but since I'm such a child of the 90s, I had to watch a lot of this stuff, you know, after the fact. So I actually, one of the birthdays or something, I got the trilogy on VHS. Had never seen it before, so I'm kind of going in blind. And, of course, I'm going to watch them in order. This is the first one and just totally ate it up. And kind of for the same reasons uh, you both mentioned, that iconography that this film has the boulder the whip the music being the one that always spoke to me and i mentioned it uh two two weeks ago was him being drugged underneath uh the van which i replicated with my own miniature jeep as a as a child <laughs> and i wanted the hat That's when I, I wanted the hat when i went to disneyland I got, I got it i still have it you know it's been very much a part of my life and you know revisiting it in years um after that i kind of see the the brilliance that the the film has you know, this is an interesting film for Spielberg because, you know, we got to kind of talk about him. 1975 Jaws, huge, gigantic hit, totally hits it out of the park. Everyone's coming to him with offers. So he follows that up with Close Encounters of a Third Kind. Ugh. Another huge hit, as Ugh. much as you dismay. Great Ugh. score, yeah. But another monumental big movie. So after that, Spielberg wanted to try something a little different with the scale and the scope, and he actually doubled that down with 1941, a, a comedy, John Belushi. John Belushi. John Belushi, yeah. yeah. And it was a colossal flop. Disaster. Yeah. And, you know, it's 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 funny in its own right, but it wasn't like that hit, so he kind of needed to come back with something, you know, that had some punch to it. So here's the story. Him and Lucas are sitting... George Lucas are sitting on a beach. Lucas had just released Star Wars, and he's they're kind of waiting for the numbers to come in to see if it's a hit, and that's another story for another day. But Spielberg tells Lucas, he's like, you know, I've always really wanted to do a James Bond film. And Lucas is like, well, I got, I got something better than that. I've written this story in years past called Indiana Smith. And... <laughs> And it was kind of like, do you, Stephen, do you remember uh, watching the old uh, serials back from the 40s? You know, the Flash Gordon, Dick Tracy, the Sunday, Saturday morning cliffhangers. It's like that, but with this archaeologist, and he goes after these religious items, and it sounded just way better than, than Bond. Way better. So he's like, yeah, I want to tackle that. I want to do that. And and Luke is like, but Stephen, if you do it, you have to commit to three films. It's a trilogy. So he's like, okay, George, but only if you have the ideas picked uh, written out and George Lucas didn't have the ideas written out those turned into other stories of trying to come up with that which that's just Lucas in a nutshell like, Wait, not, so he pitched a trilogy and he didn't have one he yeah. didn't have it he had this <laughs> yeah. he had this film and, and he kind of that happened again with the prequel trilogy like had it, it had been figured out the whole time and it wasn't he was kind of they had to come up with it when it was time to do it but that's how he came to this idea they refined the character a little bit but Spielberg specifically wanted to make these films quick and dirty like those serials and to kind of have that that tenacity no more than four to five takes and we're going to really hit the ground running a real gritty type of filmmaking style and i think it suits the film very well oh, for great. all of the things that lucas succeeded and failed on one of the things that he certainly succeeds here is with kasdan and giving him enough room with enough idea to let him deliver a story because we know what happens with George Lucas and his ideas and then him writing those ideas. Mm -hmm. Most of the time that ends up being pretty poorly done. And so this was him sitting with Kaz and saying, look, I have this idea, this idea, and the two of them just beating it out. And then to George Lucas's credit, getting the hell out of the way 
so Kazan could finish. Now, Lucas, I, didn't, I didn't realize he was involved. Lucas is going to get, yeah, yeah, there's some screenwriting stuff and there's some different credit and some stories about credit for this film too mm-hmm. as far as the writing pieces go. Yeah. But this is Kazan to the letter and if you look at the second film, which I think the third film is really good, but mm-hmm. the second film is is not. It's not atrocious, but it's not He's great. not involved. Right. Mm-hmm. And speaks to that speaks to the man's power coincidence <laughs> coincidence yeah exactly i want to go back to one thing here real quick jesse yeah and i feel bad for you because i think mark can speak to this too mm-hmm. when you're in a theater and the movie's working there's an energy among the audience members that i think heightens the awareness of the audience about what's going on in the film we mm-hmm. talk about it with horror a lot yeah. but it happened a lot in this film yeah it was brand new, the unique environment that we already spoke about. Mm-hmm. And everybody was enthralled. And that kind of quiet mm-hmm. stillness. Sure. I tell, want the, the listeners to pay attention to that the next time they're in the theater. If you're sitting there and there's a lot of rustling and moving, people aren't into the film. Mm-hmm. If it's quiet and you've forgotten where you are, like with the other 200 people mm-hmm. plus that are in there, mm-hmm. that movie's working. Yeah. And back in those days... That movie did that the same way Star Wars did. Yeah, that, yeah. Right? Dolby was new, right? Mm-hmm. Or relatively the sound, new. Yeah. And Jesse, mm-hmm. if I had a time machine, maybe get the DeLorean. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'd take you back, and you could see because it just doesn't happen like that. So well, much it's anymore. certainly not this summer. This summer's like off to like, it started out great, and now it's kind of going off the rails. And we're going to come back to that in a few episodes. But, but I don't want to be quaint about it. I'm not trying to be quaint and say, oh, back in these days when I'm not <laughs> saying when I, I, I was young. Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I, I felt that in films too. If, if one of the films I felt that in, maybe I went to a midnight screening of it, and the energy was just electric. Was actually 2008's The Dark Knight. Yeah, okay. Mm. And there was so much anticipation building for it, and for as excited as I was, it, it met all the boxes that I needed checked to have a satisfying experience. You and I experienced that one time though, when we saw paranormal. Yes. That's, had, that's another one. That's we a, were in a really good theater that night with a good crowd. And that movie for mm-hmm. a lot of people made or breaked on the crowd. Yeah. And we happened to be mm-hmm. not with, I'm scared to death. So I'm going to be funny laughing guy. Yeah. Like, so I can break the tension for myself. Mm-hmm. You and I had a good crowd that night. Yeah, exactly. There's a term for that. <laughs> we we've coined that guy. Oh, there's there's that guy. Oh, there's, there's that, that guy. guy. Oh, there's that guy. That guy. That guy is scared shitless. Yep, that guy's scared to death. Excellent. So we conclude this opening scene with the boulder, the boulder sequence, and he gets the fertility idol, but then he's stopped by one of the film's primary antagonists, Rene Belloc. 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 And yeah, Paul Paul Freeman. I've only ever seen him in two movies: this one and Hot Fuzz. But yeah, I always equate him with this kind of rival archaeologists and they have similar goals which is interesting they both want the same things and they want to be the best at their collective professions different means though different (laughs) means though so the Hovitos the natives uh, are chase Indiana out of there he's got to escape by means of plane and again why the script's also so brilliant is it's setting up things that are going to pay off big time later this initial fear of the snakes there's a big snake in the plane Jacques and that's my pet Reggie yeah, yeah, my, yeah. <laughs> Reggie. so as heroic as Indiana was in this opening scene he's done things that I'll never do in my lifetime it's this snake that just totally is going to send him running for the hills and I think it makes him you know a more interesting character he's not Superman yeah. He's fallible. Fallible. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. human. Yeah. So we pick that up in Connecticut at uh, Marshall College, where he's a professor of archaeology. He does the, I almost want to call it swashbuckling on the side, the searching for antiquities and, and artifacts. For the museum, yeah. And then the, the film's just peppered with just little things that make him even more interesting. All the female students are just so smitten with him. I always never forget that girl that has the, her eyelashes that say, love you. Love you. And she closes it, and he just like totally loses his train of thought. But 
Incomes now, what we coined last week, are inciting incident of the film, which, you know, he's got a, a buddy of his working at the school, Tim Marcus Brody, who says these government men want to come talk to you. They want to come, want some information on this subject. A friend of his has gone, uh, you know, missing, and the Nazis have actually discovered uh, Tannis, which is one of the possible last resting places of the Lost Ark of the Covenant. And these guys, it's interesting, I always love the line where they're so confused by what the Ark is and what this is. And he's like, didn't you guys ever go you to Sunday, Sunday school? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I did, I did. Yeah, so I, I know what this is. I'm stuff. a recovering Catholic too, by the way. Oh, yeah. there, you, there you go. Three of us at the table. Get, too. That. Yeah, right. Right. Get in line. All three of us. I know you mentioned that in previous episodes. <laughs> so we get that, and, and, now, and now we're being told, you know, like what the Ark is and, you know, what the Nazis might want to do it for as, you know, Hitler's looking for these things of, of supernatural possibilities to give him an advantage in the ever uh, approaching war. And we're 1936 right now, so we're not quite we're not quite there yet, but but we're getting there. Can I just add to go your ahead, storyline? Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, so in East Berlin, yes. and I was there in 1984, so before the wall came down, sure. you went through Checkpoint Charlie, and you got to spend a day in East Berlin, which was a, mm -hmm. a whole other story. There's a museum there, and I can't remember the name of it. It might be Reichstag's museum, but um, I can't remember for sure. It is full of, like, ancient Greek, like, altars, you know, huge pillars from ancient Greece and ancient Rome, mm -hmm. all collected during the Nazi period. Oh, and, oh, wow. and so that storyline just, for me, just, like, really hit home. I was oh, like... Wow that stuff really happened you know yeah. they, they brought back large and you know those were that was the 1930s right you yeah. just didn't have like easy yeah. transportation right the transportation would be a nightmare yeah 1936 and and this kind of is a perfect segue into you know what the film's primary antagonist is and like you know it's such a good one too because of how hateable they are as the nazis you know you want to see these guys beaten and squashed and defeated every which way and you know, later in the film, we get that iconic image of the Ark and the box on the ship, and it just burns away the swastika, the, the supernatural element. Like, you know, it's, it's all relatively inter very interesting. But back back to this, you know, inciting incident, one of the other elements that makes Indiana such an interesting character and why I think he's done very well is when he opens up that book and it's a picture of the Ark and what does it look like? And it's like totally laid waste to all these, you know, people. And there's this beam of light just shooting out and they're like and what is this coming out of the ark he's like i don't know fire power of god power of god or something yep so right off the bat we're we don't know kind of where indiana's boundaries are is he a religious man is he just in it for the chase well, he went to sunday school he went to sunday school <laughs> yeah know that. probably forced by his parents yeah. by his dad who we meet later in the series but he's not quite a believer of the true potential of what this could be until film's end, I believe. I think he sees it full on. I think at this point, you've done a really good job of highlighting what I think point two and three of the five that really make this movie work for me. The mm -hmm. second is a universal bad guy. Okay, so we've talked about this before. Get in late mm -hmm. and get out early. Because we have the Nazis in totality as the bad guy that's the opposition to Indy, we don't need to F around with backstory and we know who they are mm -hmm. and can we think of a more detestable lot of humans right so you have a really good bad guy Perfect. that's kind of that overplayed it <laughs> right is that we're, the creepiest we're like, gonna get to him yeah. Yeah. okay we're getting to him All right. yeah <laughs> so we've already got a really sort of built-in resentment at best to put that mildly yeah. about them and the third thing is is the gravity of the item sought mm-hmm 
the Ark of the Covenant, what housed the Ten Commandments upon given to Moses by God, mm -hmm. the Ark of the Covenant, this is, and not to be punny here, yeah. of biblical proportions. Mm -hmm. And I think for the three of us, it resonates all Sunday school victims. Yeah. That's just something you didn't mess around with. Like the same way that the exorcist has the same effects mm -hmm. on you yeah. at a non-secular mm -hmm. level. Yes. And Mark, you too. Yeah, yeah. I see you nodding your head. Yeah. This also, at the age of 10-ish, mm -hmm. played into something for me that I was raised in. Like, I know this world, mm -hmm. but even if you don't, that picture in the book yeah. and this thing being opened and these beams of light emitting forth to just rain upon these unwitting suspects the power of God or something else, yeah. man, you get really bad bad guys and i don't need you to develop and we all know who the nazis are they just suck yeah, yeah. like we go on and on mm -hmm. so we've are, so we're in late yep. we don't have to fuck around mm -hmm. with waiting to figure out why the bad guy's bad yeah and then what we're going to pursue is maybe the most important thing we've ever seen in film in that in that week yeah i love it's brilliant yeah and it's, it's efficient writing Kasdan again. And, and I think it's one of the reasons why films one and three in this series work so well, because you get another very supernatural element in film three, the Holy Grail, right. Christ Chalice. And I think why films two and four are lesser entries, because it's just not as good. <laughs> well, simply said. Yeah. It's just the, the objects in pursuit don't take on that otherworldly form that those that lesser artifacts. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. <laughs> and perfect. it's tangible. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it can be a spectral entity that maybe we can see, but this is a tangible mm -hmm. thing. And so because it has weight and gravity, then it's attainable and it gives it mass. Yes. And not only mass for them as far as weight goes, but mass as the viewers, like mass, funny that would come up, right? Literally not in mass, mm -hmm. yeah. but mass for the viewer, right? <laughs> in that it takes on such significance. Uh, the impact of that to me was still, as I'm talking, still, immeasurable today like forever changed the way i saw what we're going to pursue in film not to take us off track no don't yeah what history of the world mel brooks yeah <laughs> i bring you these 15 drops <laughs> whatever 10 commandments. 10 commandments i think of that every time i hear the 10 commandments Brilliant. yeah well i mean that for nearly three thousand years man has been searching for the lost ark not something to be taken lightly no one knows its secrets it's like nothing you've ever gone after before. <laughs> Marcus, what are you trying to do? Scare me? You sound like my mother. We've known each other for a long time. I don't believe in magic, a lot of superstitious hocus-pocus. I'm going after a find of incredible historical significance. You're talking about the boogeyman. Besides, you know what a cautious fellow I am. So we pick up at Indiana Jones's house, and Marcus Brody has come to him saying that uh, these government agents want him to go on the quest for the Ark, and Indiana's ecstatic, and this is the, you know, we're going to get, this is like one of several times where side characters are going to kind of dabble and say the Ark isn't something to be trifled with, it's something of supernatural quality, and Indiana kind of brushes that off saying, oh, Marcus, you sound like my mother. He's like, you're talking about these superstitious things, and he's like, you're making it sound like the boogeyman. So again, we're getting that that more hammered in that he's kind of a non-believer and he's going it purely for like the sport of the archaeology. I think the science of it as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, life spent studying these various artifacts, yeah. and he's getting commissioned. Let's be honest, he's being commissioned by the government to go get one of the prized possessions. So this is right in his wheelhouse, secular or non-secular, regardless. Mm -hmm. He's all in. Mm -hmm. 
And so here so, we go. Yeah, another and thing. All the research and, that goes with that. and Exactly. Validation, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing that the film sets up well and then in prior entries is kind of like traversing continents in an interesting way with that. Like Red on, line of the, travel. The, 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 on yeah. map, I love this bit. And we, we get it, I think, three times in this film. But yeah, from him to San Francisco to, to Nepal. And we got to talk about one of the most iconic sequences of this film, which is Marion Ravenwood, played by Karen Allen, in this drunken face-off with this big burly man. My second favorite scene in the movie. Yeah, and they're like twenty shots in, and I'm like, man, after two of those, I'd probably like be wanting to like get sick. Like, mm-hmm. and I was like, I, how how are they doing this? Because like, it's not Basil Hayden. Right? No, it's not. <laughs> it's rock guy. That's what straight rock guy. Straight rock guy. Somebody made in their garbage can. Yeah, exactly. Their mud yeah, and the, uh, the, the money the being ball. the money being passed around in this seedy, just like one standard deviation away from blinding you. This white lightning this style. seedy dive bar and yet she beats him and wins all the money and like they're, they're in the middle of nowhere on the, on the side of a mountain you know it's probably really hard to get here and then we're getting that iconic you know silhouetted and that's the other great thing about a vil- or a hero in a hat you know freddy krueger kind of has this element because he has a similar fedora as you can silhouette that against shadow on a wall and get a very iconic image and we get that as he enters in this bar and we learn a little bit about about their past and you know, I almost want to compare Indiana Jones a little bit to James Bond. They have different qualities in their own right, but they've had some past relationship in the past. And I love the line that she gives, like, it's like, I was young, I was in love, it was wrong, and you knew it. And he says, oh, come on, you know, you knew what you were getting into. So he's a bit of a player in his own right as well. So he's probably professor, student. It could, student, yeah, kind of. it, it that's, could, that's what the impression I got. Doesn't, I was doesn't like, he know her from her father? Yeah, and they had yeah. a, like a prior fling. Like they had a prior relationship. Like, right? Yeah, and, man. Come yeah. on. So he has an she has an element that he needs, which is the staff of Ra. It's this headpiece that's going to give him the the location to where they need to dig in Tanis. But uh, she lies to him, says she doesn't have it. He books it, and then uh, she reveals that she has it. So then. You know, in comes, you know, I like to call him sub-villain of the film, Tot. Ernst Tot. Yeah, who, uh, he's... Tot, T-A-U-T? T-O-H-T. 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 German, yeah. This very... Who knows how you say it. Yeah, this very Peter Lorre-esque, you know... Oh, great, yeah, great reference, for sure. Character that comes in. Oh, that's good, Jesse. Oh, oh, no, 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 Fräulein. We are not thirsty. And then yeah. and then just kind of persuades to get what he needs now. Yeah. But not before Indiana can save the day. And I, I want to mention one he other thing. the hot poker. I mean, the guy that goes straight to the, straight like, to the, yeah, the, the, the big the, guns. The, 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 the jugular. <laughs> one of the other iconic things about this Indiana Jones franchise introduced in this film, it's always stuck with me, is the impact of the punches that he gives. Or just the punches in general. And it was actually a sound effect created by hitting leather jackets with a baseball bat. Oh, wow. Because they just sound like they're just knocking the shit out of everybody when they're, when they're hitting them. So mm-hmm. we get that in this scene. And, you know, Indiana barely escapes with his life. And Tot grabs the, the, the steaming hot uh, medallion. It burns his hand. Leaves an imprint, we find later. But now we've kind of, when he had this female element of the film, and she's kind of tagging along to kind of make things a little more complicated, but also to kind of help him in certain situations. We're off to Cairo at this point. Introduced to another side character, Sala, played by John Rhys Davies, and I like these 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 Cairo bits. You know, they filmed this in Tunisia, the desert, and all this stuff. And the crew and cast and crew notoriously got 
severely food poisoned during all of this. Like it was like kind of kind of really? kind of horrific. Yeah. So the only ones that were not really getting sick were Spielberg because he was eating everything out of cans and like and bottled stuff. So because smart not to kind of dabble in that, but <laughs> yeah, you know we kind of get the the street Cairo bit and, and different biome required for that part of the world. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. In that environment, <laughs> yeah. we have these Nazi spies, and we're we're just it's all a matter of who's going to get there first and who's going to come out on top. So, but all right. So I got to do. Go ahead. We've talked about favorite points, and I have a question for you, and I'll go, go back to it. Just go ahead. Let me do this. The fourth point I want to get to, this is this is the point I wanted to bring up. The fourth thing in this movie that really makes it work. We've already discussed about it, but it's a really likable protagonist. Yeah. I love that showdown in Nepal when the guy shows up with the scythe and he's got the nunchuck effect with the scythe. And yes. Indy just pulls out the gun. He's like, I'm not going to dick around with this. And just cold blast him. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Just cold blast him right there. He's like, uh, doesn't mess with a bull. Yeah. Whether it's, him. Exactly. Yeah. Whether it's my students or mm-hmm. whether it's in the theater the first time eruption of applause because like okay so i got this gun and i'm gonna win now that's gonna play out a little bit later Mm -hmm. but it creates a a nice relationship with indy because he's just he's just so fucking cool yeah you know what i mean that's just such a cool way to do away with the bad guy yeah that's i I got this damn monkey and this woman and this thing and she's i don't have time for you so like what are we doing bang later yeah literally that's what he says like i don't got time for this shit today like moved on and curtains yeah it's it's so good it's it was something lately improvised in the film. There was going to be a whole kind of fisticuffs. Oh, uh, I snuck it you in. You snuck it in. And, yeah, a fisticuffs between him and the swordsman, and it just wasn't working. So the, <laughs> the Harrison was like, what if I actually just put my gun out and just shoot the guy? And they're like, let's do it. And I think it's a great moment of oh, just in the moment, a scene created there. It's that the scene my father still talks about to this day. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah it's a classic. And I think you're right, Matt. I think it perfectly personifies the character in a nutshell this is someone we can get behind and we can't wait to see what he's going to do next so he's fallible as you pointed out earlier because he doesn't like snakes yeah uh he's recognizable in a profession that's Mm semi-attainable teacher right Mm -hmm. and then he's kind of this dreamer but here's the other thing too and this is something that i find myself really searching out in film today it happens but not as frequently as it did then he's a man's man He's the kind of guy that I want to sit down at the bar with and drink with. Mm-hmm. Uh, with all due respect to Harry Potter, I don't want to do that with Harry Potter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't have anything against Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. We're just not going to go drink. Do something. And Who like, would you rather drink with? Indiana Jones or Han Solo? Indiana Jones. I'll never forget the Han day. Solo, he'd make me pick up the damn tab. <laughs> this is about 20 years ago. Yes. My brother was a raft guide in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, okay. working for a company there whose owner was good friends with Harrison Ford, who has a ranch outside Jackson. Okay. He calls me Christmas Eve. He goes, dude, I'm partying with Han Solo. <laughs> I'll never That's forget awesome. that. That is awesome. He said it was great. Because <laughs> for just as iconic as... Indiana shooting the swordsman in the streets of Cairo is just as iconic as him shooting Greedo across the, bar. the thing. Yeah. And he in did and he did shoot first. Let me just state that for the record. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard question. Let there be no doubt. <laughs> okay, so but you asked me a question, so okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna lay one on both you guys okay. too. Okay. Who's a more terrifying embodiment of evil Nazi Germany? Hans Landa or this Ernst Tot guy? Jesse, who you got? <laughs> Who's your vote for? Image-wise, I have to go for Tote. For, for sure. For sheer, sheer manipulability and his ability to play the scene, I kind of have to go Londa. Maybe we'll talk about that one day. You know, <laughs> yeah, that, that was really well played. I tell you, the, the, the Tote, Tot, mm-hmm. 
creeps me out. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, to this day. I mean, his kind of evil giggles. Yeah. At really kind of like horrible situations. Well, yeah, I don't think Londa's a uh, sadomasochist. I'm no, pretty sure no. Tote is. Yeah. No. So well, let's talk a little Londa's bit. Londa's a manipulator. Yeah. yeah. And that's why. This I, other guy's sadist. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about that too because in he comes and he has one piece of the staff of Ra and they're using that to dig in here and they got a full dig site with like thousands of, of you know, Egyptians just like digging, digging, digging. But uh, we, there's that great scene where they're in the tent with Belloc and uh, Marion, and in he comes and he pulls out this masochistic device <laughs> like and, and he starts like stretching thing. it and pulling it, and they're freaking out, and sh- they're just like recoiling, and then he just turns it into a hanger. hanger. For- so brilliant! I gotta for tell you, I gotta tell you, like 19, 1941 for Spielberg's a bit of a misstep because I, I don't know if he handles full comedy very well, oh, but God. I think comedic situations within a film i think i think work well again cool. coming back to jaws there's that great scene in jaws where quint just slams the beer and crushes Close it encounters he built the devil's tower out of mashed potatoes yeah i mean come on yeah yeah quint slams that beard crushes it and then richard dreyfus drinks his water and like crushes his styrofoam cup like i think in small doses i think spielberg's like quietly brilliant at putting humor in it and this is a great example of that with, i agree pure with, comedy is definitely not his forte yeah. but moments to alleviate or develop character he's really good at it Mm -hmm. you you talked about that i think i think it was jaws and some of the other films where you said he's really good at using children and comedic moments Mm -hmm. to kind of break the dramatic tension Mm -hmm. which i hadn't appreciated till you mentioned it yeah i mean i I know you don't love it but it's a good chance to sort of reference et again i know right i mean i know it's a children's movie but they do a good job mm-hmm. in that movie for yeah. what that is with kids doing that very thing. Yeah, when E.T. gets like drunk and just stumbles into the kitchen, that, that, that is pretty funny. Like in small doses, he's, he's good at it. Driven as the whole entire plot, it's a different story. Exactly. All right, good. So now we're getting... No, I don't hate it as much as you guys do. You don't? Uh, yeah, that's, it was I one even, of those like 80s movies that... I don't remember exactly, but maybe late 70s, 80s. It was that, a year after this, 82. Oh, okay. It was like he had the script... It, it, it was it was a captivating movie. Yeah. Around that time, there was a lots of stories about UFOs and UFOs. You know, this was the whole Bigfoot UFO kind of movement. Sure. And right. having a movie like that come out was, was cool. We mm-hmm. have to do this, though, right now, and I'm going to let you do it. All right. What E.T. should have been versus what it became. Yeah. Go ahead, Jesse. This is, um, is here, you know, I'm putting this on a T for you. Yeah. So here it is to yes. Jesse putting it on a T by Matt. How Let's just it, say this is a perfect flight question for another day, and it's, you know, the top three films we never got to see on mm-hmm. screen this is definitely one of them so et kind of started as this film called night skies night skies and it was going to be kind of like a very kind of like in the woods cabin like alien invasion film and it was supposed to be like more horror more scary and th- they had a script and i think there's rumors too that they actually had pros- or uh creature effects already yep. done up for it and it yep. just got killed at the 11th hour I'm blown away and the remnants of that story turned into et and poltergeist yep so is it, let's separate it we'll make a horror movie separately and then we'll do yeah. an extraterrestrial so, friendly yeah what, what could casper have, the friendly ghost kind of thing yeah what could have been like it'd be interesting to see how that would have all played out it might have gotten like the best of both of those films into into this one but yeah, that's that's we have to do that flight one of these days. We top do. top Best three films we didn't see. never seen. We'll get a chance to talk about our guy from the Crusades again. Excellent. C- could I add one thing to what you were saying about Indiana Jones? Yes. Because for me, and maybe this is just a, a result of my profession. Mm-hmm. To me, he's the quintessential entrepreneur. 
Oh, good. Okay. Chasing a dream without regard to the resources required. Yeah. Beautiful. You know, he's like, all I need is two grand and I can go here and I can get this. Yeah. You know, it was in my hands. I almost had it. Exactly. I know where to get it. You know, to me, that was, you know, I, I think about it in yeah. terms of the tech business scene mm-hmm. that, in which I work. But yeah. for me, he was like, he's like the quintessential badass entrepreneur. That's cool. You know, chasing his dream no matter what it takes. And I'll do whatever it takes to get the resources to make it happen. Nice. Love well it. said. Well yeah. said. We haven't spoken about Paul Verhoeven for a while. So to that flight question. Oh, yeah. That's the Crusades. Yeah, this once used to be the Paul Verhoeven podcast. Paul Maybe. Verhoeven with Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Crusades. Yeah. It's casted, another, scripted. Another film never made killed it. at the 11th hour. So Arnold, like Conan Arnold, at the height of his power. Yeah. Could have been fantastic. So let's get Ray right Arnold. back to it. <laughs> as, <laughs> as Indiana and Sala have now found the map room, they're going to use the existing medallion staff of Raw to find the actual digging site. And another great iconic sequence is that beam coming down, and they found the location. Beautiful. You know, Marion's being held captive in the thing, but in order to not blow their cover, he's got to leave her, you know, you know, tied up here, and we get another great scene with... with she didn't quite understand. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Another great scene, yeah, with her, her and Belloc. And then as a kid, this was always my favorite scene of the film, them digging and finding the well of the souls. Mm-hmm. And we get that iconic line, snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? And when he goes... The this, floor is moving. <laughs> something about bugs and creepy crawlies as a kid just, like, really, like, speaks to you. So this scene just did it for me. And, like, them having to get the ark out of this thing in this place now where there's the pre-established earlier in the film his ultimate weakness is these snakes i think it's just done done brilliantly that you know when he's face to face with that cobra and they did that with some plexiglass you're not going to let harrison ford be face to face with a venomous venomous cobra yeah but i think that image of him just like it's okay for your hero your protagonist to feel moments of fright and he looks scared even superman had a script tonight yeah scared to shit in this moment I, I always like that scene of him looking back at that at that cobra yeah it's a great sequence mm-hmm. and the escape is fantastic where they topple that statue to knock down the door mm-hmm. or the wall it's it's a fantastic they scene they find that one area to get out yeah yeah with all the, the all the skeletons oh god yeah yeah but if we could just you know have the, the, the film is just rooted with such iconic sequences and we're getting to the, the next big one I think it's you know one of the best action bits ever which is this kind of fisticuffs on this flying wing, which they're going to fly the Ark back to Berlin. And it starts with the guy that he's able to handle, and then he gets the big burly, the... Kempfjunga. Yeah. yeah, he tells it, him, fight, boy. Yes, yeah. exactly. This guy that's really got an advantage on, on, on Indiana, and they're going to, on this wing... Yeah. It's <laughs> so good. So good. I love it. It's like that Irish boxing. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly yeah, what it is. Yeah, you never see in an MMA match. Oh, now. right. Yeah. It's perfect. Matt, this is going to absolutely hurt you to the core. But So there's a sequence in there. So do you remember the shot where Harrison's about to be run over by the, the, the wheels of the thing, and he kind of does like a little kind of backflip and like kind of rolls to get out of the way? Yeah. Harrison like totally pulled like a severe muscle in his back and he was like out of commish for weeks exactly. after right. after that. Yeah. Well, you know what? Then I'm going to raise one up to Harrison Ford. That's why I like him. Yes. Cause we share something in yes. that regard. Don't yes. we? Yeah. Yeah. Is there a story here? I don't know about yeah. you or <laughs> the constant battle with six foot four and lots of jumping and bad back. There you go. Uh, yeah. And it's almost, it's almost such a curse too. Cause he did the same damn thing in temple of doom when he was fighting one of the henchmen in, in the hotel room, he flipped him over his back and pulled, 
Did he do a lot of his stunt, his own stunts? Some of them, yeah. Like a lot of the writing stuff was done by a stunt man, and and some of like you know the, like the, the dragon effects. Riding. But like when it's like a like the fight scene, he he really did it. He was really in there. But then he gets an even better in, right? Yeah. yeah. Distracts him to be smitten or chopped up. And I love the way they with they, the blades. They, they, they did that really well. I love I, the way they edited it. Subtle, yeah. yes. You don't see it, but you know exactly what happened, right? Yeah, Quentin, Quentin Tarantino would show us him being chopped up by the propeller. <laughs> Kill Bill but, style, yeah. But, like, real quick, yeah, we just get, a, like, like two cuts of his reaction and then just the blood splatter on, on the on the Nazi's logo and then on, so brilliant. And then on the windshield. And that, 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 that for me was really well done. Because yeah. um, I didn't so, need to see it. No, no, you know, no we don't. I don't. So brilliantly subtle. Yeah. It's like, that speaks to so... Just control of your craft in this film. It's mm-hmm. just masterful the way that's done. Blood on the Nazi symbol. And I, I, awesome. and I, I honestly, I think this is Spielberg's greatest attribute, and we saw it in Jaws as his staging, and you know, um, in in on theater terms, you call this blocking with how things are positioned. Mm-hmm. This is a very expertly choreographed fight sequence and kind of staging of events. You know, where you know Marion's got to shoot the guys, and she actually shoots the gas tank, and now we have this fire that's gonna go and blow them up and i i think it's i don't think it's in disney world anymore but had you been able to go in the the 90s and the 2000s uh walt disney world in orlando actually had a indiana jones stunt show it was a live show with with stunt actors and they recreated this sequence from oh, the, that's cool from the film yeah. really oh you're kidding yeah nice. full full pyrotechnics a flying wing they they actually did i don't think it's there anymore but it, it's uh it's something they did but how interesting was that plane though for me like that's the first thing i looked at i was like well that's an interesting looking plane for 1936 yeah what, was that a i don't think that was a yeah. typical plane right i, I or, always wonder where, where they were going to store the art because it doesn't look there's a lot of storage space <laughs> on that plane so point. it looks super high tech though yeah right? yeah so we get right past that. They got a kind of a little leg up. They've squashed their plans to fly it out of Cairo, and now they're putting it on a truck, and they're going to convoy it to Berlin. Like, this sounds like a really long – or, no, probably to the Mediterranean. Then they'll just sub it to so, Berlin. Right. This is by far my favorite sequence in this film, and I think it's the best action sequence in all of film history. I'll tout Mount Max, you know, any, any film, Avengers, whatever. This. Wow. The way it's done, this kind of, and it's it's a man on a horse who has to take down six or seven ish vehicles and twenty plus guys to kind of get out of there, and you know, little by little, he gets on, he gets the guys out of there, and kind of knocks the the guy in the the motorcycle out of the way. And I love when he knocks the the, the car with the machine gun off the thing, and they just sail off. Mm-hmm. But then he struck a blow. He's, he's shot. Yeah, he takes his he takes his licks, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's what. And I then remember. another great thing with Spielberg, just kind of showing, you know, what he decides to show us is, you know, that guy that shoots him, he's kind of dangling on the, on the door, and obviously he's gonna fall off. So th- there's a moment when we cut to a reaction shot of the bad guy in the back of the car, and we just see the guy kind of rolling, and then the door. We don't see him unhinge the door and fall off. We just see kind of the aftermath of that. I think that's just really good editing and shot placement for for the director. And I like what he decides to show us. This is a perfect place for me to put this in, my little two cents on this. Sure. This is the fifth essential piece of this film for mm-hmm. me. And it's there's no shortage of interesting and unique action sequences. Definitely. From the fertility idol mm-hmm. to the well of souls to this convoy chase, which I think is the best. I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but it's my favorite car chase scene of all time. Mm. 
Although French Connection one's really close Ooh. too. Okay, but okay. That's a good one. Yeah, that's um, a pretty good one. That's yeah. a pretty good one. And then to the what we get at the end, like none of those are repetitive. Each one of them is truly engaging yeah. and different than the other ones. And that's not easy to come up with. Oh, yeah. It's not. Because if you want to blow it up and go to outer space and travel to this planet and this, then then you have opportunities to work in different action bits sure. and set pieces. Mm-hmm. This doesn't short on the set pieces. It still has them, mm-hmm. but it has them grounded in reality. Yeah. And they're all unique. I think it's moments like this. What I prefer things like this compared to like the event end of Avengers Endgame where it's just a hundred plus characters. Yeah. And just a barrage of action. that Transformer I don't, bullshit. That I can't focus on. But here I can right. focus on our lead protagonist. And one guy we care about. Yeah. <laughs> With his, a steady camera. Yeah. One camera that's steady. Yeah. And and I think also because it's done in camera, there's very there's like a green screen shot of them flying over the cliff, but everything's done like here. It, this is real. They would stage this with stunt. Can, can you tell that by watching the movie, the green screen clip, or you just know that? Oh, I just know know that. I used to have this. I had this coffee table book. It was so awesome. I still have it. It was the, the Lucasfilm archives. It had the Star Wars trilogy and the Indiana Jones trilogy, and then there was a drawing in there that showed how they did the green screen for that. Oh, cool. So it was an actual kind of model and figures that went over the. the the cliff but with like a green screen to create that effect of them going off the cliff that's cool and that's how they used to do it and it was precision timing back then now it's a point and click yep. edit feature and it i think that a lot of the magic is lost so i meant to mention this earlier and not to take us off track oh no, go ahead if we're no we're we're doing doing time. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah so i grew up in the same town as george lucas and okay. um american graffiti was written about his youth in modesto california okay where i grew up and we used to go, I remember as a kid, we'd go over to the Polich's house. It was a friend of my dad's, another fellow physician, Dr. Polich. Mm-hmm. That was the old Lucas home. Oh, wow. The house he grew up in. That's no cool. Shit. Walnut Orchard in Modesto, California. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Isn't that cool? That's I mean, very I never cool. met the guy, right? Yeah. But, but there's an annual graffiti night in Modesto every year where they bring out like the old 50s hot that's rods awesome. and they cruise down the strip that's and go to Mel's Drive-In. That's, that's re- cool. That's really yeah. cool. Oh, that's fun. Awesome. No, thank you. Thank Sorry, you. Thank off you for track. That. But no, no, no. No, this show is all about the side stories of the films and everything tied to it that bring us to talking about the film. Right. So excellent. So you know, we get this bit. Indy's successful. He gets drugged under the thing. What I like to rec- like I like to recreate as a kid Use so many the times. Bullet. Oh, so yeah. so great. I can't imagine. I always like wanted to know. Jesus Christ! Like his stomach and everything must have just been like shredded after <laughs> that. Because my God, do we have a VHS? VHS or Super 8 clip of you doing this with your little toy car. No, but there's got to be 35 millimeter photographs of of that somewhere. Yeah, they do somewhere. Yeah. Can you post that? I I should. I should find (laughs) it. (laughs) What I was telling Matt, though, was part of the problem of that was I was an only child, so. I had to do like all the different parts by myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No brother or sister. To exactly, help. exactly. Yeah. So they were able. They're uh, indie successful. They're escaping on the Bantu wind on this ship. They're gonna get it out of there. But oh and behold, they're intercepted by the Nazis again. But it was a really cool captain. Yeah, I liked him. He's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I always. I thought I was like, is that Yafet Kodo? He kind of talks like like him, like 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 he does in 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 Alien, but. Let's let's dial it back a bit. There's a great sequence of the two of them in the room, and it's where oh, he hurts. <laughs> he starts here, here. This thing's so bad. Yeah, yeah. And then he kisses her. Great and he, scene. Yeah, and you yeah. think they're gonna like seal the deal, but then he's just beat to shit at just this falls point. Asleep. Just falls asleep. <laughs> I also like that other bit too, when she's like looking at the mirror and like. 
<laughs> slaps him in the face and he screams and she's like Did you say something he's like adjusting he's like got like a bruise on his face now don't you love that about him though i do like i like these little character moments that kind of make him what he is that's what i he's real yeah man yeah, yeah exactly he hurts like the rest of us yeah exactly yeah i mean he could seal the deal here as you said jesse mm-hmm. and you know give her 38 seconds of pure hell because he's just beat to shit or yeah. he could just fall asleep yeah and which one of those plays better yeah the latter mm-hmm. it's just again i feel like i've said it a hundred times He's in such control of the story he wants to tell, mm-hmm. and it is beat out and designed in a way that there's not going to be any of that. Yeah, I don't really know about that part. I can't see Tom Selleck there. I'm just I, saying. I, I, I know. I can't I know. visualize yeah. it. It is hard. It's just so I think brilliant. Tom Selleck seals the deal, if I'm being honest. Like, <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> with the mustache and everything. Right. God, the Ferrari okay. and the Hawaiian shirts. Sure, sure. <laughs> but I think it's, a, it's another great thing that hammers his character... Home, but like, look, we got a lot of great elements at play. An expertly written script by Cast and great direction and staging by Spielberg, and I think a great performance by Harrison Ford. Okay, you just took the words out of my mouth. Yeah. It didn't just walk into Han Solo and the President mm-hmm. Jack Ryan and Indiana Jones. He makes Karen Allen tolerable in this film. And if you question, oh no, maybe she's not that bad. I challenge anybody that's listening to find another Karen Allen vehicle that's tolerable, right? <laughs> My wife said the same thing last night. She's like, I can't stand a uh, character. I was like, Yeah, she, he, he makes her. He makes her. Yeah. Okay. On he's the quintessential point guard on the basketball team mm-hmm. that makes everybody else around them better. He's John Stockton. Was she in Animal House? She is an yeah, animal. She's, okay. she's the one trying to hit it up with Donald Sutherland. Right. Yeah. 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 The professor. Okay. So maybe there's one. Okay. So maybe there's one anomaly there. But it's we haven't spoken much about that. Yeah. Harrison Ford's really good. Yeah. This swashbuckling guy. I think this was a really time when he good. was good. If you, Matt and I talked, you know, on occasion off mic about like actors that have had like a great run in like a short amount of time. Like, oh yeah. Think of this: Harrison Ford, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back. Raiders of the Lost Ark, Blade Runner, Return of the Jedi, Witness. Like, damn! You you do Blade Runner. I think you promised that in one of your previous. We need to because Blade Runner is a bit of a controversial film between Matt and I. And I'd love to. I'd love to hear that. Sorry. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's good. I'm very fond of it, and Matt isn't very fond of it. So I think that would be a very interesting episode. But there's no denying, like Harrison in this time is like, yeah. How's he he not his game? How's he not like ranked number one on male actors? Like Jesus Christ. Right. Right. Excellent. So we get the the Nazis come back. They reattain the Ark. They're taking it on a sub to this little island where they're going to open it up with this. I always like that line, too, by the German guy. Do we have to really go through with this this Jewish ceremony? Ceremony. It makes me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And he's like, like, you know, no, no, no. We have to respect the the, the natural powers. And then, you know, again, you know, the the subtly brilliant comedy that's placed throughout this thing. I always like that, that that moment, too, when he takes the nazis clothes and mm-hmm. if the shirt's too too short yeah, he, can't, he can't button it yeah and they're like chewing him out in german yes right? yeah, yeah exactly yeah that very harsh language but then we have that moment where he really contemplates he walks that fine line between you know just ending it to 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 save the day and kind of you know respecting history he's gonna blow this thing to kingdom come with this rocket launcher and he decides not to go through with it. And I think that says a lot about his character. I think, again, speaking to why you like him, that that entrepreneur sensibility within him, that he, he wants to kind of see this kind of through to the end. Right. And if he blows it up now, the film the film ends here. Right. 
But then we get to that was an interesting moment, wasn't it? Yeah, because like he stopped and thought about it. Like I am going to mm-hmm. you know, blow it up now, and then doesn't. I'm gonna you know? blow up the arc, Renee. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> watch closely the next time you watch this film. The Paul Freeman, the actor, what a committed actor! Because there's a scene there where there's a fly, and it like flies into his mouth. Yep. And he straight up chews and eats, he, the, eats, eats the fly. It. Yes, <laughs> he does. Really? Yes. Took one for the team. Huh? He took Indeed. one for the I team. I missed that. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, now, now, next time I watch it, I'll it's one of those, like, go and watch it tonight. <laughs> it's one of those like film, just like kind of like things you have to look Watch A New Hope again. There's a moment, too, where one of the stormtroopers totally bonks his head on a kind of half-open door. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. when you see these moments, you can't unsee them. It kind of ruins the scene for you. But that's the great thing about film is... Well, like DiCaprio and Django, right? Really busted his hand really open. Really busted his hand. Yeah. Well, every once in a while, you'll see like a mic dangling down in the <laughs> yeah. background. Like yeah. they didn't edit out. Maybe yeah. in those Ed Wood films of Plan 9 from Outer Space. <laughs> but I think that's what makes film such an not interesting... Raiders, of course. Oh, yeah. Of course I not. wasn't talking about Raiders. But I think that's what makes film such an interesting medium. And what sets this film different than others is there's multiple reasons to rewatch it for its great story, its heroics, things like this. Whereas... You know, when I go see something like Aladdin or Godzilla, King of the Monsters, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be revisiting that one on the yearly or every couple of years. Like, films today don't have the lifespan that films did back then. There's some, but yeah. I don't think there's as as many as there once were. Mm-hmm. You know, I can watch Infinity War an infinite number of times. I think there's just, okay, let me reiterate. There's, there's fewer, for there's sure. There's less. Right. Mm-hmm. But the Guardi- thing about Guardians this... Of the Galaxy. I don't know if I could do that over and over again. I like that one. Mm-hmm. It has to do with time, though, too. Yeah. How long is the runtime on this movie, Jesse? Just 140? under 150, I think. Okay, so yeah. less than two. Yeah. Once you start getting two plus, it starts to take on sort of that epic monumental, like it's going to be a night versus yeah. let's just sit down and watch it. This is a There's f- probably some scenes we could delete, right? Well, it's, it's, don't yeah. you guys think this is a fast watch? Yeah. It's great. Because every- it's a full package, though. There's nothing like. Yeah. There's, there, there's no moment where I'm sitting there going. Come on, speed. Uh, I hate up. this let's part. Get let's get the, on to the next one. Let's get to the next part. Right. It's all good. Agreed. It, yeah. The music's good. The acting's good. The scenery's good. The, you know, yeah, exactly. The, everything's good. No, and I, th- I think that's just why... That's what I look for in film success. I think a film can make as much money as it wants to and all the power to you, but a film success to me is if it's rewatchable. Yeah. Can I come back to this and have a good time with it again? To rewatchable films. Yeah. I, I like that metric. I think there's a lot of films too that also fall in the category. I like it while I'm watching it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is like this should be like a grade for Matt. It's like I really liked it, Jesse, but man, I could never sit through that again. Like the Revenants, like prime example of that. Perfect. Yeah. Or something like this, man. If it's on, like on TV, yeah, I'm gonna hop in and finish it out. But let's even get though you, even though you know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. It's still great. And I'm I'm saying yeah. the lines as they say them at, at the same time. I'm that much like involved with it. Mm-hmm. But let's get to this final iconic sequence, the opening of the Ark of the Covenant. It's something that's been touted through all these supporting characters through, you know, uh, through, through the whole film, uh, this power of this almighty godly power. This is such a great scene. I mean, you know, it starts with like it's it's just sand, and it's like it's like every you can see like the look in everyone's faces. They're defeated. 
We chased know, after this? We chased after this? I think... And, and then it kind of wakes up and yeah, I think, yeah, it starts I think, like... I think Todd even like kind of starts people. laughing. He just starts yeah. like... Yeah, he's got that evil devilish... Yeah, he's like, aha, like what, what an endless pursuit. laugh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and for something as cheesy as Indiana turning to Marion saying like, close your eyes, Marion, whatever you do, don't look at it. As some, remembering back to Sunday school. Yeah, exactly. As cheesy <laughs> as that is and how he knew to do that in that moment, you know what? At this point, I really don't care because what a great way to see our end, endlessly hateable villains just totally bite the dust. And, you know, we get the the angels of death that come out of this thing. And they're very beautiful looking, flying around. And everyone's, everyone's encapsulated by the by the the mystery and yeah i love that line by paul freeman Ballock. he's like it's beautiful, it's beautiful. and it just yeah oh it's, it's so good it's so good and it's like it, a mentor all of a sudden yeah, yeah. yeah exactly and yeah. it just starts shooting light through everyone and kills all the nazis but then the three kind of main ones we've been following Ballock, tot and i think his name's dietrich this kind of brigadier general that's like Hitler's task to like make sure this goes through properly. He's got the tan uniform. Yeah, the tan guy, uniform. Yeah. Man, they, do they get the best, one of the three best deaths in all of film. Like, mm-hmm. just totally eviscerated. Again, practical effects. You know, in films today, they would just point and click to make this thing. But man, they actually melted stuff and made it like sink in. It, it took days to shoot that sequence. Yeah, really? Yeah. Everything from a heating gun to a hair dryer to getting the wax. You guys at talked the about re- this previously, mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. the it's, different waxes. and mm-hmm. the- You can find this clip on YouTube, and mm-hmm. I'm letting all the listeners check it out, because the technical elements that went into just getting the face-melting sequence of Belloc to go the way they did. No, if it's it's Tot, isn't Tot. It? To get Tot to go so, the way that it did. He's got the good one. Man, it's worth your time just to watch and listen to the stories on how craftsmanlike they were about going that going about that process to get the effect that we got. And what I love about it, it's not animated. So if we go to like Clash of the Titans or Jason of the Argonauts or something like that, just animated. Mm-hmm. Nope. Yeah. This is actually really a model that they break mm-hmm. down. Timed practical effect. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's another great reason I love the the eighties films. And it's, and it's eerily grotesque. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean the skin just kind of Melts. melts away eyes fall out yeah. glasses fall yeah. off it's brilliant it's, yeah yeah so it's brilliant yeah so indiana and marion they survived the day indiana has a debrief sesh with the government agents that sent him on the job and they've recovered the ark and this is an interesting ending because the hero kind of doesn't get what he wants he's won the day but he's kind of lost the pursuit yeah the ark's well gonna said. be studied Stored. by top men Top men. <laughs> yes, I, I, I love that. So, you know, we're left kind of wondering what's next for Indiana Jones and then what's next for the Ark. And Ark is brilliantly stashed away in a warehouse full of endlessly unrecognizable My third boxes. Scene of the boxes, yeah. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's like it speaks government bureaucracy to yeah. a T. Like, yeah. yes, we're going to have our top men looking at this. Yeah. And it, it's another wooden crate yeah. stored with all the other ones in this huge warehouse. Just stashed away a scene and then revisited it in the fourth film, which is just bastardized in that film. But again, a conversation for another day. <laughs> but I think the film ends on a high note. We get John Williams' brilliant Indiana Raid. They call it the Raiders March. Raiders March. On, yeah. on, on this on the soundtrack but i played my electric guitar version for you on your text today <laughs> yeah excellent <laughs> but yeah yeah d- done really well and by then i think we've had just such a absolute ride that how do you not leave the theater like just like in pure ecstasy at this moment like this is what film 
watching filmmaking film you know viewing is just all about it's about moments like this and you leave the you know walking up the aisle to the theater and you have dun 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 and that's playing you out to the parking lot that's perfect it's marching music it's perfect it's it's named very well literally the march you know so in the whole we were just talking about this earlier you know it's the whole kind of you know entrepreneurship capitalism good versus evil you know Mm -hmm. west versus east you know it's all those dichotomies and and conflicts at play play Mm -hmm. and and the quote unquote good guys won except for the fact they stuck it in that warehouse and, <laughs> yeah you know, and, uh, yeah it's just you know and the music is so uplifting yeah and... i want to mention just a couple little things here before we get into our ratings let me do before you do let me do one thing with go you. ahead good we do this when jesse and i sit down to write we'll say this movie that we're writing is about what mm-hmm. we'll say it's about family or it's about revenge or it's about so i'm going to ask you jesse and then i'll mark i'll ask you indiana jones and the rage of the lost ark is about what to you what is this movie about for you the quest for an otherworldly item okay pursuit of of perfection mm-hmm. mark it's good versus evil for me that's good and that's the pinnacle of filmmaking and storytelling if but, you, you have a great story I mean, come on, yeah the, the nazis are so evil yeah in this movie mm-hmm. they're portrayed so as so evil it gets to a brilliance i lived in germany for five years you know sure. so it's not to say I have any sympathy for the Nazis, but yeah. I understand the German culture. Yeah. And, but I mean, they just, they do a brilliant job of good triumphing over evil. Yeah. Those are such simple concepts. Because mm-hmm. for me, I, I hope that the listeners don't throw up on themselves when I say this, but yeah. it's about bravery. Yeah. Yeah. He's so brave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's about, again, with that, like, like masculinity. Without regard to resources. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and those are such simple, iconic concepts. And it gets to this really basic idea and story. Guys, let me tell you a story. Mm-hmm. I got your attention. And if I can root that in something that is one of, like, the seven tenets yeah. of physical characteristics or beliefs in humankind. Mm-hmm. And you guys just nailed two of them. Good versus evil. Perseverance. We go, you know, bravery, bravery. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, boy, that's something you know. George Lucas and Steven Spielberg totally went to town on that in the seventies and eighties because they made huge films on those basic ideas. Yeah, pretty basic. Like Jesse, I would say what you said is kind of about respect. It's Mm -hmm. almost about pursuit of respect. Like they're looking after this idea, this thing that is so perfect, and the fact that he doesn't toast it with that bazooka. Yeah. Is about respect. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about that too. Like, let's talk about the the films past this this series. We've done this on Alien and the Terminator, and just kind of looking at what got set up. You know, this the sequel, Temple of Doom, the quest for the Shankara Stones. I and mean, it's actually one of the films that helped create the PG thirteen rating because it was just so freaking violent. violent you know, yeah. everyone remembers Malaram pulling that guy's heart out of his chest. And then sitting down and. The monkey brain. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and, and then I can't unsee that. Yeah, and then <laughs> Last Crusade, uh, the quest for the Holy Grail, Christ Chalice, and then speaking on a moment, that what you just mentioned. There's a great scene at the end of that film where that Grail's about to fall into some cavernous chasm, and Indiana's trying to get it, and his father says, "Indiana, let it go." That respect of things that are otherworldly that it's you not just for us. Exactly. Perfect. Perfect. And that film could have not ended more perfectly, them riding off into the sunset. But then we got part four, which was the aliens and the crystal skulls. And do you know I love about that? Film, no, you that, don't. that film too. No. The, no, 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 not that one. The um, Last, Last Crusade, Crusade is that that chalice is the most unornate, ordinary one in the whole place. There yeah. is a such a 
is so smart. Yeah. It's not about what the chalice looked like. It's about what the chalice represented. He chose poorly. (sighs) Yeah. So good. Yeah. Oh. I really like Last Crusade. It's it, it ekes up on there being almost as good as this film, but I still prefer this one. Yeah, sure. And then yeah, we're getting Indy Five in a couple of years, and like Jesus, like I don't I don't know if I need anyone. And I've told you this, Matt, like on times prior, what this franchise should have done if they there's so many stories to be told as we're going to talk about in the nightcap, but what they should have done early on was if they wanted to tell more and it couldn't be Spielberg and Harrison Ford, they should have went the James Bond route with this thing. Just like kind of recast it because I've seen six different actors play that part and they're all decent in their own right. Sure. They all play it differently. I think we could have had three-ish actors play that character and just continue the adventure because I think that's what we like at the end of the day is this pursuit of these quests and things. For me, when you talk about it in the Bond context, that triggers some thinking. You know, Bond films are great because it's formulaically good. Yeah. Right? It's always It's always entertaining. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter who's playing Bond. Sure. I mean, it matters to yeah. some level. But, yeah. you know, the storyline's good. There's a heroine that's cool. There's a cool car. There's some great tech. Q's got some neat stuff. You know, and and it, and it just works. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Tony Hillerman books. Yep. They just work. Yep. You know, they're, they're, it's a great formula. Yeah. An interesting thing about this franchise, too, is that the villains in all four films are actually done in by their own hubris of the mystery of the item they're searching for Belloc opening this, this, this chest, Malaram seeking out the stones. They actually lead him to fall into the alligators. Uh, the guy in last crusade choosing the wrong grail. Mm-hmm. And then in, even in the fourth film, Cape Blanchett, you know, with the, the pursuit of the crystal skull, she's done in by the mystery of the mystery. That's probably best left unsolved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So real last quick, one last last moment. This film, you know, that's you know we've sung its praises and rightly so. It won five Academy Awards. It was nominated for Best Picture and Best Director. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a film of this caliber of this type, the Academy doesn't really nominate films like this. To for this to get recognition Action is adventure is amazing. Films, yeah. yeah, voted um, the number two best film of all time by Empire Magazine. Of the 500 greatest films of all time, number two. What was number, number one? one. <laughs> Any guesses? Any Vertigo. Uh-uh. Uh, episode four, Star Wars. Really, the Godfather. Yes. Oh, Godfather. Really. Yeah. Okay. I was pointing to a poster of the Godfather in this yeah. film. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? So you have the Godfather and then Raiders. I think that's a pretty great, you know, benchmark yeah. for a film of this type. So I think time now more than ever. Uh, how would you rate and grade Raiders of the Lost Ark? I'll give it just a brief overview of our ratings. We have Rock Gut, Well Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Mark, where are you at with your rating? You know, again, I'm not as uh, educated as you all about film and critiquing film, but for me, it's top shelf. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, I mean, watching it again, I watched it like Sunday night with my daughters and just watching it again was like, in every scene, I'm like, oh my God, that was great. Oh my God, he's so funny. Oh what my did, God, that was a great what did they th- What did they think of it? Oh, they love the movie. Yeah, yeah, they're totally into it. And, and they were like, yes, Dad, can we watch the movie? Quit talking. But, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it, it's it's a family favorite. Mm-hmm. Matt, rock gut. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe Crystal Skull. Uh, it's as close to perfection as you can possibly get in an action film. Mm-hmm. I would say it's the best action film that's ever been done. That's totally fair. So yeah, top shelf. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. I, man. Yeah, I, mean, I don't need to sing its praises anymore. I, you guys heard what I thought. I sort of cat was out of the bag from the first time the words left my mouth in this podcast. Yeah. 
it's 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 about a perfect film. Mm-hmm. And I think I've said that too. In years past, I've always said that Raiders is one of five per- perfect films ever made. And I kind of don't really know what the other four are. I just know that Raiders is one of them. I've never <laughs> done that ranking to figure out what the rest are. But yeah, you're right. From an expert screenplay to expert direction to a great performance. I mean, it gave us one of the great film heroes of all time. And we got a whole media franchise out of this that spawned books and video games and more sequels. Oh, that's triggered a thought. Sure. Um, you guys were talking about going to Disneyland and doing the Raiders ride. Yes. So my daughter, uh-huh. 19 years old, was just down there recently. And yeah. she, she didn't like it. Uh-huh. No. <laughs> well, she had some criticisms about the whole, you know, are, are, are we respecting ancient cultures? Are we not? You know, that whole thing. Yeah. She, she was not a big fan. Just, just a little <laughs> bit of a spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to put that out there. No, I've definitely been on it. So the first time, the first time I went to Disneyland, that was you guys were talking about going. No, yeah, that was the first time. That was the first ride I went on. Stood in line for probably about an hour. Got on it, just totally ate it up. Like that whole time, like waiting to go there, I wanted to make sure I was the right height to get on the ride, and I was. Wrote it, loved it, went immediately to the gift shop, and I bought my hat that I still own to this day. Nice. The reason we brought that up is we're teasing it out because we are going together yeah. in no. September. So we're going to we're gonna cut a, ca- a podcast out there. Don't let me rain on your parade. Oh, no. Oh, no. no. I've been I, on a that, that's one yeah. 19-year-old She's, girl's opinion. Yeah. doesn't share the opinion of anyone else in this room, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll eat that up. But yeah, exactly. It's a top. I'm, I'm sure I would enjoy it just of the, because of what you said about the movie mm-hmm. and what you said about the movie. Yeah. It's like literally the perfect action film. It's a top shelf film i think it's the best film in this franchise i get honest to god it's steven spielberg's best film really yeah i i think so and yes and that says a lot yeah i I don't think he's ever been clicking on more cylinder i know i know he did it kind of on the cheap with like four to five takes and you know et may have made more money the year after this came out but he really yeah it did et became the highest grossing film of all time when it came out beat star wars He's never been better. What? This, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, really? Yeah, yep. exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, this is his magnum opus, if you will. Yeah, like so height, height of his power. The height of oh, his power. Yeah. And to that, like we're sort of feigning some shock on this. Of course, it is. Mm-hmm. The movie's fantastic. Top five for you. Yeah. Best action of all time. Generational love at your house. Oh yeah. I mean, come on, like. Really, Raiders it, is about fuck yeah, it is. That's yeah. a terrific movie, it's man. A good like, movie. what's better than Raiders? Yeah. Shawshank, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. That's a debate Different, we could have. It's hard. You know, I was gonna say this earlier. It, it, it's hard to compare for me. You know, uneducated armchair critique, critic at this point. Um, it, it's hard for me to compare like the best action film to the best mm. drama, the best. You, you know, like to say The Godfather is better than Raiders. Maybe. You know, but they're totally different. Aesthetically, they they could not be more different. Yeah, See, exactly. That's I think one last monumental oh accomplishment of this film. Despite all the things we said, great script, great performance, it's really entertaining. And ultimately, I don't care what ultimately, anybody that's says. What matters. That is what movies are intended to do, and that is to entertain. So if you get a good story that's smart and not filled with a bunch of glossy bullshit or whatever and it's still entertaining mm-hmm. 
Man, that's a well, win. The, the fact that you it's can, a win. You can rewatch it, not just on Netflix yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, regular TV. You'll be like in a hotel room on a trip somewhere and you flip on the TV. Oh, Raiders is playing. You know, it's just one of those films. Yeah. I can't count the number of films that are arduously long and so tough to watch. And I make myself sit through them because this is a good film. And it's over and I say what you just said. Yeah, it was a good film. I could never do it again. And that, look... If you're going to film to set sort of the parameters with which the beats of your day go, that's mm-hmm. the drummer to which your daily beat marches. Yeah. Whatever, I guess. But that's not me. Like, I still want to ultimately be entertained at film. Yeah. And when you're as saturated with film as the three of us seem mm-hmm. to be, it's seen so thousands of films. Yeah. To watch one from 1981 that when it comes on, as a matter of fact, we're going to go watch it right now when we get done. Mm-hmm. We're going to go finish it. Me yeah. And my daughter. It still slays. Just like you said, that's not only a win, that's a slam dunk and generational. Yeah. So when we say, like we both agree. If our mm-hmm. grandparents were here too, they would enjoy it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. that's who <laughs> took my wife. <laughs> right, yeah. I took my dad for Father's Day, I think three or four years ago. The Regal was did a re-release of this. And I took him to go see it because it's, it's like a film we can watch together. There's so many ways you can experience this. Male, female, father, son. It's its incredible. Yeah. What, how was it? Was it remastered with new sound? Yeah, I think or? it was like, it was one of the, one of the like 35th anniversary or, or something like that. Oh That's yeah, it was, it, was, it was incredible. It was cool. And yeah. you know what? The movie was sold out. Every seat was taken so, out. Right. So I'm not the only one. I'm not the only <laughs> no, one. No, you're not. Hey, to this movie and to not being the only one. To not being the only one. Well, excellent. Al, this has been a great episode, but as always, we're going to finish with a little nightcap. Hey, look at this. We've tapped off the Basil Haydens. Bye-bye. So there we go. Yep. So let's let's head out the door. You with... have to twist my arm too hard. <laughs> exactly. No, it's, it's good for a reason. <laughs> so talking about Indiana Jones and the Ark of the Covenant, the Shankara Stones, the Holy Grail, and the Crystal Skull, there's a lot left on the table of you know what Indy could potentially go after in future films, whether with Harrison Ford or another actor. So... Gentlemen, what's a artifact you'd like to see him go after? Mark, Matt? why don't you kick it off? You want me to kick it off? Yeah. Okay. Um, hopefully, I don't steal somebody else's oh, idea. Oh, go ahead. The Tomb of Genghis Khan. Um, Ooh. Yeah. So, because it's got that sort of like the ancient aspect to it yeah. and something like, you know, Indy could research. Yeah. And there, it's rumored that he was buried with treasure. Mm-hmm. Rumored. Nobody's been able to confirm it and nobody knows where the gravesite is. Perfect Indiana Jones episode. Don't you think? A, B, uh, yes. Yeah. Could you First, guys write that script? Yes, to that. <laughs> that's okay. that's great too, and I think it t- it would take us to an area that we haven't seen in any of the films, other than the intro to Temple of Doom. Yeah, we'd get to spend more time there, so it's a different atmosphere. Okay, good. Where are you at? So the culture thing is important to me too. So with the pursuit of the artifact, I want to be introduced to a new culture. We haven't done Eastern Europe yet, so for me, it's the Amber Room. Oh. Yeah. William the First of Prussia designed a room in 1701-ish that was ornately decorated with his favorite jewel of all time, which was amber. Mm-hmm. And essentially, it's a room with amber paneling all around it. So, on back to Jurassic Park. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. On, on yeah. Peter the Great's Grand Embassy, he gave it to him as a sign of camaraderie or, or partisanship between the two of them. And then in Barbarossa. 1943 mm-hmm. maybe off a bit on that Nazis invasion Barbarossa 
they stole it. Now, so we can work around the Nazi thing because we don't need another Nazi entry into this franchise. But him pursuing the Amber Room. Now, it's been supposedly it's been recovered and yada, yada, yada. But that's all just technicalities in the screenplay, depending when you date the movie and so on and so forth. But I want Indy to go for the Eastern European Russian angle because Russian history is one of those things that's mm-hmm. not tapped into much, yeah. much less Prussian history that precedes two different dynastic empires, which we get into at another time if mm-hmm. we want to play history on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just Willem, William, Willem the Great himself is such an interesting enlightened monarch. We are at a really cool period, like absolutism meets uh, divine right meets Indiana Jones meets... Peter you the Great, religion, politics, yeah. everything—it's perfect. <laughs> everything it's perfect. you want, yeah. Ooh, that's interesting. So that's mine. All right, perfect. Okay, Jesse, you get the third one. All right, so you know, I think the Indiana films have worked best when they're in the confines of like some type of religious artifact. Yeah. And so the one I'm going to pick is actually the Spear of Destiny, which is allegedly mm. the spear that pierced the side of Jesus Christ while he hung on the cross. Beautiful. Ooh. And whosoever wields this spear holds unlimited power or however the That's legend the belief. Yeah, however, yeah, the, however yeah. the legend goes so i guess we're back in raiders and last crusade territory with an item like that heck bring the nazis back because they are such a yeah, good it's villain like they've been gone so long you could bring them back for you a could. good story you could couldn't you sure <laughs> and i just speak to the films that i i prefer in the franchise but that that, that always seems one that would be interesting some other two i wrote a couple others that you know kind of just seem like obvious fodder but like the Search for Atlantis, yeah. the Lost Empire. That seems like a likely. It's like quest. an Aquaman thing. Yeah, an Aquaman. <laughs> yeah, well, it would, it'd be a very different type of film. And then I even had, you know, the quest for like Excalibur, something Ooh. written to in legend that if we're real, you know, that could be an interesting quest. And then that takes us to like Europe again, that which is, you know, an area not dabbled much in these. My, films. my backups were the crown jewels of Ireland because mm-hmm. nobody knows who mm-hmm. stole those, mm-hmm. and then the Faberge eggs that are missing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. back to the Russian thing. Yeah, you know that kind of ties back mm-hmm. to the Amber Room at some level, at least culturally. Mm-hmm. There's a sword by a Japanese blacksmith. Um, I'm gonna massacre his last name here. Is it from Kill Bill. It's similar to the Hattori Hanzo. Hattori Hanzo. It, it, it plays on the same idea, but it's actually the real guy. Mons, uh, oh, I'm killing his name. Mm-hmm. But that was the other one that I had sort of kind of contend, like thought about. Because, Is it like a Last Samurai kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah supposedly cool. it's the most perfectly crafted sword that's ever been crafted in that. But again, it gives us access into that culture. That's cool. Which is, I was just in Japan last week mm-hmm. uh, on a business trip. And I tell you... I mean, if you ever get a chance to go there, I mean, the culture, the people, the place. I mean, you've got, I don't know how many millions of people crammed into Tokyo, but yeah. it's safe, it's clean, it's secure. It's got the old, the new. Yeah, that's one of the places That'd I be actually, a great story. actually want to go to. That that whole feudal Japan, I think the architecture and the design is just so unique. It's But, Hanjo... but, Tom, but Tom Cruise is the last samurai, really? Oh, no. That Han... wasn't great, right? <laughs> I, like I like the Masumi. movie, yeah. but I didn't like necessarily. Hanjo Masumi. I'm killing his last name, but it's a sort of pattern. Yeah, right. Okay. Oh, okay. That's cool. I think those are That's all, great story. all very valid choices. Yeah. What would you pick as you know your quest for an Indiana Jones 5? Do we even need an Indiana Jones 5 might be the question to start that conversation. Man, Harrison's going to be pulling, what, like 78 when they roll cameras? Like, Jesus Christ. I think Shia LaBeouf's not busy right now. Oh, no, he's not in the movie. Like, get him out of there. 
<laughs> was that a dig on Shia LaBeouf? Oh, or yeah. Were you? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just think too. You know, we talked about Bond. We talked about James Bond too. You know, Roger Moore was pulling like late sixties when he did View to a Kill, and you can totally tell. Yeah. Like. I don't know. I'm, I'm, he I'm, was great, though, wasn't he? Yeah, he? Roger Moore had a certain aesthetic. I liked Roger yeah. Moore's yeah. James Bond, yeah. too. That's because you grew up with Spy him. Spy Love Yes. Me. Yeah. Spy Who Love Me. I like, for, I like for Your Eyes Only. Yeah. yeah that, was that was a good one. But, Moonraker, man, we got to tackle some Bond films on this podcast one that's of these not days. A bad idea. That, that would be a lot of. Well, doesn't Craig have one coming soon? Next April. Okay, there yep, you go. There we go. You tackle one Bond film, you tackle them all, right? 20. <laughs> you know, they're kind of. You know, this no, podcast is a year long. 24 film cast gets a half it, a year. It sounds negative, but I mean that out of respect that yeah. they found a formula that works. It mm-hmm. works for me. Yeah. Right? Excellent. No, it works 23 times. It clearly works for more than just us. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, this has been a super fun episode. I, Mark, I want to thank you for coming on, joining thank you, Mark. us. Guest distiller. I hope. I hope you've had guest, fun. Guest drinker. Guest drinker. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, to yeah. That. Cheers to you, Cheers Mark. To guest drinking. It's been a lot of fun. Thank it, you. It's, it's been fun. An honor it's fun. To we'd, be with we'd, experts like yourself. We'd love to have you back. And yeah, you know, we'll you know, next week we're gonna con- we're gonna close this cast with one final film. And oh boy, we're tackling a very interesting film from the '80s. And man, if you, you're the best, you're the best around. On tap for next week, we have The Karate Kid from 1984, and it's a film that, you know, had its own franchise, but it was a huge hit when it came out in 84, and I can't wait to talk about this. It's a film I've actually rediscovered in the last year as being, like, very subtly brilliant, and, Matt, you cannot sing the praises enough of the YouTube television show Cobra Kai right now. Yes, I I know you. Oh my god, it's not. It's not good. It is fucking amazing. That is the best show on TV right now. After Game of Thrones, (laughs) no Game of Thrones. I just started getting into that. I thought it was cool. (laughs) Leave before the fourth season starts. Okay. No, I'm a big fan of Costner too. So his little deal on Paramount right now is really good too. Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really Really? fantastic. But no, to to that's sidetrack. Yeah, Karate Kid is. Going to be a great podcast, mm-hmm. and Cobra Kai is going to be weaved in there because I'm going to make it happen. I, yeah, I'm looking really forward to this. Yeah, excellent. So I can't wait for next week. So cheers, gentlemen. Cheers, gentlemen. I got to get going. I got to go start digging up my own well of souls. You know, I hope there's not spiders in there because that's kind of my or Achilles heel. Snakes. <laughs> I'm going to hop in the back. I got a stump set up. I'm going to go practice my crane technique because I'm going to kick Lawrence's ass. What about you, Mark? I'm going to go paint the fence. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Excellent. We'll see you all next week. Everybody have a good week. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in the know for future episodes. And be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or leave us an email at ricemileproductions at gmail.com. Raiders of the Lost Ark is property of Paramount Pictures and Lucasfilm Limited, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers.
snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Asps. Very dangerous. You go first. <laughs> 